Hello and welcome to the very 146th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about board games. And with me, as sometimes, are the wonderful Quentin Smith and Ava Foxfort. Uh, Hi! Hello! See, I mangled you all together like a chimera of board game knowledge. But who Uh, are you, head of this chimera? I am Tom Brewster. Professor of board games. I have a doctorate in cardboard and a degree in fun. And on this podcast, <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of different games. Uh, we went on a little holiday trip to play a bunch of games recently, and we've got a whole big bag of them to cover for you lot at home. We're going to talk about Athenium, a game about organizing books in a magic library. We're going to talk about Ohanami a game about organizing rocks. We're going to talk about Similo, a game that Quinns likes for some reason. (laughs) And we're going to talk about No Thanks, a game about not wanting anything at all. Thank you very much. One of the games we got to try was something that I've played digitally before, but this was the first time I got to play it with my actual fingers. Um, This is Athenium, which is designed by Latelier who made Obscurio and One Key, and published by Renegade Game Studios. And it is a game about books, a subject close to my heart, because I used to be, for quite a long time, a librarian. Which makes this game really exciting to me. Except, this is a game about a magical library where they don't understand how you file books, and that (laughs) is faintly distressing to me. But let's not go into that um the narrative of athenium i believe is that you are a student at a magical school who's been allowed to come in and do some late night cramming before the exam in exchange for doing just a little bit of shelving and that is what the game is is collecting books and putting them onto shelves and arranging them in a completely nonsensical manner because of absurd demands that are being put upon you it is a drafting game in which you'd have a hand of cards uh, that you take, you pick one, and you give it to your neighbour, and then you use that card to activate the powers, which will let you put books on shelves, take books from the supply, swap books around, and do a couple of extra bonuses and treats that are the sort of things you find in every board game ever. What is a little bit more fruity about the drafting in this game is that each card you play, as well as giving you something, gives something to the person to your left and the person on your right. So you're kind of picking a big treat for you and a little something to share with your neighbours, meaning that every turn has a little bit more, a little bit more decision in it. And you also get to think a little bit more about how you're drafting because the cards you pass to someone, you know that you might get something from it. So if you can arrange it right, you might be able to force them to give you something that you're going to need later. And then you collect these books and you fill them up. And there is a conveyor belt of demands from the librarians that make absolutely no sense at all in librarian style. And I (laughs) really shouldn't emphasize that quite so much because probably nobody cares as much as me. But my word, you do not put things in this. we We want a row of books that has one book on this subject, one book on another subject, one book on another subject. And we just want them to be arranged like this. And that's all we care about. And then you can move them later on. But that's how this works. You will be looking for a particular arrangement of books, books in certain place, books where it doesn't care about the genre, but it wants them to go in uh, particular spaces. Um, and if you can claim those, you get some points and then you keep on filling it up until you've passed a few sets of cards around. And then 
you wrap up and it's done in quite a short space of time and you've got a shelf full of books and various things you're getting points for it's simple get books yeah. shelf yeah. books cry is yeah uh, is how i might describe <laughs> it um there are, there's a great uh sort of top-down rules explanation over a couple of very important things that you've missed maybe the most important things in athenium one all these little books that you collect and shelve have titles on the spines that you can read and have a giggle about because the yeah. copywriting is pretty good considering these poor people had to write like 120 <laughs> pretend names for fantasy books also Every shelf in front of you has a little cardboard spider. And when you've put enough books on the shelves that the cardboard spider has nowhere else to go, it pops off the shelf and you get a bonus for some reason because board games. What happens to the spider quins? Where do they go? Where do they go once you've gotten rid of their house? I really think the biggest question is what Ava alluded to, that like, in what universe are we being asked to shelve books where we need a green, orange, pink, purple book and then a purple book on top of them? Like, it's really distressing. <laughs> but honestly, like, Renegade clearly know or are going after the target audience of people who like and fetishize books because this isn't even the first book game that they've made. They put out Ex Libris, which I'll say is a substantially worse game than Athenium. I quite like Athenium. I think it's fair to say we all did. It's a fun little drafting game. Um, but they're chasing those people who want to shelve books and be satisfied. But then they've also made a game which flies in the face of any kind of sensible book organization, which would be, <laughs> I don't know, alphabetical or by genre or both. Um, I'm annoyed. I'm mad. I just can't take it anymore. Because like Ava, this is close to my perfect game. But then the gosh darn game gets in the way. You just want an empty board that you fill with books, and that's the entire game. There are no points, there's no scoring, you just want to organise little tiny cardboard books in the right order, right? Like, that's the perfect game for Quinns. Well, okay, well, hey, Tom, what if I were to posit to you that that is the game, but then the problems along the way came from, like, I don't know, other players swapping your books around? Like, wouldn't that be more like a Fantasia Hogwarts magical library that, like, you're trying to shelve books, but every round, oh no, this genre is, like pushed away from the other genre or the book on monsters has flown to the top of the bookshelf because mm. it wants to build a nest or something i'm i'm really frustrated that i think that there's a really really easy fix for this theme which is that it the narrative of it should be you are not working in the library you are sneaky people in the library who have found an empty shelf in a corner that you know nobody else knows about and you are trying to hide exactly your reading <laughs> list in a little yeah. nook in the corner and that's why you're doing it and it's not it would need to not be shared goals and be just like you've got your own set of things that you're going for and you need to have those particular things and that that would be that would be really lovely and not have me being really wound up by it but because it says you are actually helping the librarian by doing something that would make me as a librarian scream in horror <laughs> i mean the, the game is is called athenium colon mystic library to use its full name <laughs> and there is nothing about it that's mystic at all aside from the mystical ass objectives you're being given that make no sense <laughs> and the fact that you i guess have to spend magic wands in order to um achieve objectives I think um we need to give a little bit of credit to like the probably the best thing about the game. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about this game. I do want to say like it's 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 nice to play. I wouldn't turn down a game of it because it's quite quick. It's quite good. It's quite solid. I just found it seemed really obvious what to do a lot of the time. Like there's there's a strategy that I think is fairly likely to be dominant in most of most of the games that you play, which is going for the like positional ones that don't care about colour as much. And anyway, there's mm. there's there's stuff in it that is just like, this is nice. I wouldn't buy it, I wouldn't get it. But the 
names of the books in this mystical library that is full of like books for vampires and wizards and like self-help books for ghosts and like (laughs) considering how many of them a a high enough percentage of them are actually laugh out loud funny or like at least get a little wry chuckle um and i think that counts for a lot like i really want to give like a round of applause to the copywriters on this because they just it's just one of those things where like i remember i had kids books that would just be like heaving with lots of tiny little gags in a row and they've just nailed that and yeah i respect that i think there is there's like a ton of really nice little touches in there like it's a a thing that we haven't talked about is how tactile it is like even though you're organizing those books in a mad nonsensical manner you do get to push that little spider along the shelf when you line up the books and you get to stick on little annexes and sock it in little candles and it's all lovely and there's also like the game does engender a really nice feeling towards everyone around the table and a pretty relaxed approach to like yeah. what you're actually doing because like nothing in the game is uh is exclusive and whilst you don't want to give people certain colors of books like that's kind of it but other than that you're just giving other players things so you're always getting more than you expect on your turn because you play a card from your hand and you also get a little something from the person to your left a little something from the player to your right so it's kind of nice it's this nice feeling thing but like the bottom line for these kinds of games these kinds of games that we cover that are really nice is like could i see myself recommending them not really like as a thing that's like you've got to buy this and does the game change on like successive plays either in like its content within the game or like how you're approaching the game and i don't think there's a level of depth for any of us because we grok that puzzle pretty quickly i think for me there are elements of athenium i love i really love collecting these little funny books and shelving them and storing them and i think that has very little in common with the actual game of athenium which is trying to complete objectives and (laughs) like and drafting the cards and i didn't think it was an interesting drafting game and i didn't think the uh, objectives were either interesting or particularly fair because occasionally some massive objective would slide onto the row that one of us had just completed already so it's just like that's and that's 12 free points or however much yeah, it is yeah. that's 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 pretty poor but i do love the shelving and i do love the stacking and if athenium was like some kind of if athenium actually used what it was good at if it used that book fetishism and was like galaxy trucker where you're slowly building out this increasingly unwieldy and awkward collection of books that would be great but it's not it's a drafting game that's kind of average and an objective point sanity game that's kind of weak but i do love stacking them books yeah (laughs) quince have you ever thought about instead of getting a copy of athenium maybe you should uh volunteer once a week at a library Mm, i would probably enjoy that or get a bookshelf i do have a bookshelf i do have a bookshelf Uh, just get a bookshelf and order like a cheap job lot of books and just sort them out onto it any way you like yeah yeah i'd like that i'd like that that'd be good i think the only reason i'm being difficult is i would like one of these book shelving games by renegade to be like something i want in my collection yeah. i'm like you know you and i have a huge book nerds this is this is a shame let's be honest you and i have our, have had our hearts broken a little bit by athenium we're being professionals we're being brave but we're hurting on the inside <laughs> Probably the highlight of our trip to Oxford, though, was a final night that we spent playing a whole bunch of little card games. Why? Because card games are great fun. Also because our brains had been ruined by a series of successively bigger and bigger and more complicated <laughs> and more complicated games. Um, but one of those games we played was Ohanami, designed by Stefan Bendorf and published by Pandasaurus. And this is a little card game that reminds me of a card game that is called The Game. 
And I'm not going to unpick that sentence for you if you didn't uh, understand it, because my goodness, we've got lots of card games to talk about. But Oanami is a game about building out a gorgeous little Japanese garden. And I was really excited to play this. So this is another drafting game, just like Athenium, where players are going to look at a hand of cards and then choose the card they want, then pass the cards onwards to the player clockwise or anti-clockwise from them. Um, and in Oanami, you're drafting rivers. You're drafting sort of uh, stone rock or uh, things, what do you call them? Rock gardens, that's it. You're gonna be drafting green plants and you're gonna be drafting pink cherry blossom trees. And all of these cards have a number ranging from one to, I wanna say like 120? Something um, like that, yeah. Something like that. And for the cards you draft, you're going to either put them straight in the bin, that's not good. Uh, Matt did a lot of that and we all had a great time laughing at him. Uh, or you're going to put these cards in front of you in one of three columns. And these columns can only be added to on the top or the bottom by cards that are sort of sequential. So imagine you put like a 60 card in one of your columns and then you draft a 50. You could place the 50 on the bottom of the 60. Any other cards you placed on the bottom would have to be lower than 50 and any cards you place on the top have to be higher than 60. So in drafting uh, these cards, you're wondering whether to start new columns with them. You're wondering whether, oh, you've got that column that's currently at 30. If you draft a five, then that's kind of a big jump. You've, you've bitten off a lot of your potential room to play cards there. And then also what you're thinking about is the fact that all of these different colors of cards score a little differently. So I'm gonna get the specifics of this a bit wrong, but it's stuff like blue cards will score four points at each of the game's three rounds. So blue cards are better early on. Whereas pink cards are worth more and more than more of them you get, but there aren't very many of them in the deck. So if you're able to draft a few pink cards, you've probably wasted your time. But if you can collect enough over the course of your game, then you're heading to a big point payday. Uh, so those are the basics of Ohanami. What did you two think, starting with Tom? Hi, I think Ohanami is a good game, but I don't know whether I would pick it up over other things in the game shell, because... At the time of recording this, you've got so many different variations of the game. The games where you're playing cards from 0 to 100 in order, basically. That's what categorizes those games. You've got the game. You've got the game. Quick and easy. You've got the mind. And you've got the mind extreme. And Ohanami is one of the only ones in that category of these games where you're playing cards from 0 to 100 that is competitive. But I don't know how much it gains for being competitive. Like, I enjoyed my time with the game, but I felt, oh my goodness, now I'm saying the game, and it sounds like I'm saying the game the game, but I'm not, I'm saying the game of Ohanami. Golly. Because it's competitive, you're trying to look at that hand of cards and try and make people do bad jumps when you're giving them that hand of cards. When you're drafting what you're choosing for yourself, you're also drafting a hand that you're passing along, and you're trying to take a look at what they've got going on on their columns and trying to find something that's going to really, like, skewer them. But it's often kind of hard to read exactly what you can do with that card, and there's always options. You're always giving a player's a hand of options. There's never anything that feels very final and brutal. And yeah. alongside that, there's a lot of scoring in this game. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, a lot of the downtime is absorbed, swallowed by this very involved scoring process where you're scrolling things out on a on a pad and working out exactly how many points people are getting from their vast quarries of rocks and endless fields of green. It's a strange game. It's an interesting decision, isn't it, to try and uh, spread out the bit at the end where everyone adds up scores and sprinkle a little bit of it through the game. Because it's basically you draft a hand of cards and then all of the river cards score a little bit. And then you draft another hand of cards and it all goes all of the way around a couple of times. And then 
you uh, score all of the rivers again and you score a tiny bit more for the greenery and then you draft a whole thing again and then you do all of the scoring because then after that it's the end of the game and everything scores again and that's the only time rocks score but they get more points so so like a river is worth way more right at the beginning because you're going to score well not way more it's worth going to be worth like two points more than a rock (laughs) if you score it at the beginning if you get it in early on get a river in and that means it's going to score three times and that's great if you get a but if you get a rock early on it's not going to score until the end it's going to score slightly less so things change in value ever so slightly but the price of that is this thing of like that bit at the end of the game which everyone's bored of because you have to top up your scores it happens three times (laughs) and (laughs) it's not as complicated like the first one's easy the second one's a little bit more complicated and then the third one is and people will kind of got the hang of it by that point but it's Mm. not it's 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 not the best rhythm of things i simply found it was actually too easy it wasn't cruel enough not saying it was too easy like other decisions were obvious but often i didn't find that i had to make a decision like i would receive a hand of tons of cards i would know that blue would score the most out of everything i could collect or maybe pink and then i would look to see if i could add blue cards to my columns and i could and i did and That's fine when those particularly easy sort of hands of cards happen occasionally. That's part of the ebb and flow of card games. But what I found is that half of my actions in Owen Army felt obvious or not cruel enough. And I was in the weird situation of occasionally you lot around the table would go like, oh, this is a tough one. And I would be a bit jealous because the way the cards were being handed (laughs) to me, it just didn't shake out that way, Um, which which made the card game feel weirdly toothless i don't know if you two felt that at all i um i kind of felt quite the opposite from that like i definitely oh well not the opposite and i agree i think that there isn't a huge amount of weight to the decisions and it's normally fairly obvious what you want to go for with just a little bit of groaning every now and then but i really like that like in theory uh, my assumption about the theme is like the four the four suits in this are the four elements of traditional japanese gardening as i understand it which is water rocks um greenery and cherry blossom and for something that is about building like meditative gardens i wanted something that was quite meditative and that's what this felt like this felt like something that i was just like it was like the feeling the vibe of playing a drafting game without any of the stress or worry and i liked it for that like possibly disproportionately maybe we might have gone into it with some weird expectations then because all i've heard about ohanami is that it's kind of a, a it's a competitive version of the game it's a competitive version of these these co-ops and that therefore i was coming into it thinking oh this is going to be so mean because i'm remembering all those times that you're playing the game the game the game and you're left with a hand of cards that is just absolutely rubbish and you're groaning and the other players are going, oh, why'd you play that? And you're making these huge annoying jumps because those games, we should talk about those at some point because they are really, they're quite good. But Ohanami did feel way more relaxed despite the fact that it's competitive. And I would rather play those co-op games where you do have a sort of, the, the co-op version of this game feels more brutal and mean and nasty than the competitive version, which was a weird cognitive dissonance thing for me going on there. You know, arguably it's not a strange game at all because that kind of meditative just passing cards around sort of vibe that Ava's describing, that's most card games you can play with a 52 (laughs) card deck. Most, like, especially most trick-taking games, which are just designed to fill hours like some kind of expanding kind of marshmallow monster from a cartoon. Like, card games just fill the day. And Ohanami is offering that kind of just passing cards around, just playing cards, looking at nice illustrations, and that's fine. But I don't know if you need to go out and buy a game to offer that when, like, that is 
kind of exactly what decks of cards are for. Now, while we might all sort of like be running a bit sort of lukewarm on Owen Army, let's talk about a game that we can all agree is great. Let's talk about Similo. Let's talk about Quinn's favourite game of all time, baby. <laughs> My game that nobody else likes, and that's completely fine. I don't hate it as much as Tom does. I think like, I don't hate I have it. No, with none it. of us like, hate it. None of We're us just hate confused it. by how much Quinn's <laughs> likes it. That's the that's the rub. It's just, a, it's like a splinter in my board game review stack where I can't quite get rid of it and I can't quite stop thinking about it. So Similo is a re-implementation of a game called Hall of Fame and the, this new version is published by Horrible Guild. It is a card game that is available in all these little packs which might cost about £8 each. Like, so you've got Similo Wild Animals, Similo Myths, Similo Fables, which is things like, you know, Red Riding Hood, uh, Similo History, which is people like Charlie Darwin and uh, Marie Antoinette. Uh, but each of these things is a deck of about, oh, I want to say like 30 gorgeously illustrated people from that set. So the wild animal set will have, you know, like lions and gazelles or whatever. Um, then the way you play Similo is uh, one, per it's a cooperative game where one person is going to be providing all the hints. Cool hint master. The cool hint master is going to deal out a grid of characters. So let's play, let's stick with wild animals. A grid of wild animals. And then we'll draw a small hand of wild animals with which to uh, sort of guide the other players towards which of these 12 animals in the grid is the chosen animal, the kind of answer. And the way you do that is you're going to play a wild animal from your hand either vertically, which means the, the, the animal that I'm trying to guide you towards is similar to this animal, or you play it sideways, which means the animal that you're trying to find is dissimilar to this animal. So, Quins, if, Quins, please what? use the correct terminology. Okay, is talking is, about is the thing similo or dissimilo? I honestly, I just started talking in a kind of word salad while playing similo. There's something about this game that just gets under my skin. I love it, and that might be the illustrations, or it might be the fact that Tom, I, I, as I get validation from Tom on this, because I thought the actual backdrops that the illustrations are on are peculiarly attractive. In They're similo. really good. Yeah, it's the, some of the best backdrops in games. You can find them in in Similo. Describe them to me. Uh, like, come on, come on, art art students, tell like, me. Like, it's like uh, if you went to the wallpaper store and you bought all the really fancy wallpaper that you wouldn't be brave enough to actually put in your house, but you really like the pattern of. And all the fancy wallpapers secretly contained clues to the animal or historical figure or whatever that they're in front of. It's really, it's nice. You're right that there is a weird amount of love and attention put into those cards and their backgrounds. Like they could easily just be on like green gradient background and people wouldn't care, but they've actually made like a custom cool giraffe background that's a little bit spotty and strange. And they've got a neat sheep background that's kind of woolly or something. Like it, but it, there is, I agree, but it doesn't make it the best <laughs> game of all time, Quinn. You keep I, I... saying to us that it's the, it's the greatest <laughs> game ever made. I do not. That's slander, but I appreciate you having my back on this. So basically all the game is, is that, you know, I will play a lion sideways. And so everyone goes, oh, okay. So the animal we're looking for is dissimilar to a lion. And then it's like code names where they then have to point at cards in the grid to eliminate, um, slowly eliminating more and more and more as you get more and more and more clues, hopefully guiding you towards that one until you've eliminated everything except the one animal in the grid that is correct. And it's hard as balls. It's extremely difficult, is Similo. Like, I think I've lost most games of it that I've played. It's challenging. But the reason it's, it can become interesting is if you don't play with one set, 
but you mix and match. And this is this is the, the format of the game that I, I, I it's basically the reason I'm talking about it. So imagine you're playing with wild animals and historical figures. The way that works then is you deal out 12 historical figures. You're trying to get your friends to, you're trying to guide them towards which of these historical figures is true. But then you're saying, is the are these historical figures similar or dissimilar to these wild animals that I'm going to play. And so you then get discussions of, we had a game where we were arguing over which monarch is most similar to a fox, or, mm. you know, is, is you know, Genghis Khan dissimilar enough from a peacock that we can take the risk of eliminating them. And then it becomes funny and interesting, and that's Similo. And... Look, look, listen, listen. It's not good. I know it's not good. Ava even pointed out when I brought it to Oxford that it's a pain that you've got a game that's fine with an £8 version, but if you buy two sets, which is already like £16, then it starts to get good. This is the sort of thing that like people could pick up because it's like they've walked past a board game shop and been like, oh, that's got a nice thing. Let's try it out. And if each of the boxes contained two different sets and told you to mix and match them uh, for about for like a tenner, I would be like yeah. 100% behind this and like that's an easy win. I'd want a couple of pairs in my collection and I'd want to be telling people to pick it up who aren't really into games but might be tempted by something like this. I totally agree. And what I really like about it is just how tense it is because it's it's a game that asks a whole table full of players to collaborate on a really simple task where if you screw up once, the entire game <laughs> is lost. And for me, both as the clue giver and the person looking for clues, it made me nervous. It made me excited. It's kind of like, it's like high stakes code names where nobody has to be imaginative enough to be the code giver. Like you don't actually have to come up with something from entirely from your own brain. You're just picking one of five things and being like, right, that's mm. the closest I've got. And you can choose. And one of the, arguably one of the problems with it is you can choose what level you're going at. Like when I was trying to solve the, the questions that Quinns was putting in front of us, I was like entirely like, yeah, no, but you've got to think about the politics of what a squirrel does and what that means for, <laughs> like, is, is, is a squirrel like an invader who's going out and collect? And there's kind of like intense thematic links. Uh, but then found that when I was the clue giver, I was just resorting to like, do you know what? I need to point you to a moose and I'm just going to give you a, a people with crowns <laughs> until you get it. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was less interesting. But uh, yeah, so, but that's an accessible thing, right? It means that people can approach this at different levels and you can make it as simple as like, oh yeah, it's a red squirrel. So it's probably one of the ginger historical figures, right? I think it is a good game. Like it is a, it's a perfectly good game. It's just, it's not a code names. It's not a crypto. It's not in that category. It's a little bit lighter than those games, but I do think it is good. And I think it has something maybe more than those games in that it is moment to moment, very, very funny. Yeah. Like as soon as you combine the two sets, it does start becoming quite weird and it, like, kind of joyous as a thing. And there's a weirdly difficult double negative thing that happens where you're trying, like by the halfway mark in the game, you're trying to remember, okay, wait, so the person we want is dissimilar to this, which means they're similar to the, and it, you, Tom, you and I were looking across the table and being like, wait, hang on, what are we doing? Like, it's, it's so, <laughs> because you're given a clue card, which is either vertical or horizontal, and that means one of two different things, neither of which you can quite get your head around. It's like, to what degree is this thing? Like, how, if it's dissimilar to a bear and, but similar to uh, a moose, to what extent is it dissimilar to one and similar to the other? <laughs> That's like, These are the that... questions asked by Similo, Tom. I'm glad you're on my side now. I'm glad you realise. Yeah, maybe I am. I just, I, I do think that, you know, like, I don't, 
I don't know why you keep saying it's the greatest game ever made. Like, stop, it is, stop. It, I don't say that. I but just, it makes the, people question your professional judgment, Quinns. Like, no, honestly, here's <laughs> the thing. This is going to be the opposite of a Gugong where I mention it all the time. Now <laughs> I've talked about Similo on a podcast. The splinter has been removed from my skin. I promise, I hereby vow, I will never mention Similo in company public or non-public conversation you've created a challenge you've created a challenge you've thrown down the gauntlet now, i know I, I knew i was doing it when i said it you you lot are going to try and trap me into saying the word similar and it's not going to happen because I'm, I'm the master of my own destiny from now on i'm just going to always be saying oh yeah is there any games that this is similar to <laughs> <laughs> just to see uh, if i can trip you up okay um, should we round this podcast off by talking about a card game that we can all agree is probably better than Similo. No thanks. Yeah, let's end this podcast by talking about No Thanks, invented by Forston Gimler and published by Shut Up and Sit Down's very own nemesis, Amigo. You can go back and listen to the Bonanza podcast where we decided that they would be our enemies after publishing a flood of racist bean expansions. Uh, but it's fine. They're forgiven because they made no thanks. or well, they didn't make it. They published no thanks. A little light, fun, breezy, silly card game that is utterly delightful. Shall I tell the listeners what it's all about? No thanks. No, we can't do that joke again, can we? No, we can't do that joke again. It's rude. No thanks is a whole game constructed around not wanting to take anything for the whole game. So you start the game with minus 11 points because you've got these little tokens that are worth minus one point. You start with 11 of them. And then at the start of the game, a card is turned over from the deck. And that card might have 10 on it. And you go, you look at that card and you go, that's positive 10 points. I do not want that because the person with the highest points loses the game. You want to stay in the negative as much as possible. So what do you do? You look at that card. There's a 10 on the table. You don't want 10 positive points. So you say, no, thanks. Correct. And you put a little one of your little tokens on it. And then the next person gets that choice. They can say, no, thanks and put a little token on it. Or they can take the card and it keeps going around acquiring tokens until someone says, thanks. And they take the token. They take the card with all the tokens. They put the tokens in their hand. They take the card and put it in front of them. And then flip over another card and we keep going. Now, these cards are numbered three through to 35. So some cards are much worse than others, but nine of them get filtered out of the deck. So you're not certain which cards are going to be in there, which folds into the special rule in this game, which is that if you have a run of cards, so 10, 9, 8, 7, only the lowest card will score. And it's the perfect little wrinkle to make this game absolutely brutal. Like, it's horrible <laughs> because some like it's so swingy and so luck driven where i played a game of this last night with my family and someone managed to get 28 27 26 25 and 24 all in a what? row it was distressing that how lucky they were because nine of those cards are gone from the game there was no telling that you they were going to get those cards but it's so good and so tense and so cheap and so fun and I don't even know how to tackle like what's special about this game because on paper it sounds dull as dishwater. But I think the real rub of it is looking at a card and kind of knowing that you want that card. Like let's say you have 26 and 25 and the card is 24. No one wants to take the card. So you say no thanks to it, even though you kind of want it because it's going to lower your score by one point. And you just it's just about pushing your luck, trying to get everyone around the table, putting as many of their little coins on it as possible before then actually taking it. It's a game of winding up everyone around the table constantly. 
it's delightful, right? And it's and it's like there's the push your luck element to that as well. In that, like, if you the the little tokens that you've got, you get to keep secret. And if you don't have a token, you can't say no thanks. Which means that there's this extra <laughs> economy going on on top of things. Of like, the tokens are valuable not just because they are worth negative points, which is good, but because if you don't have them you lose your power to control what is going on and say no thanks mm. and get yourself out of tricky situations. And that's such a lovely little extra layer. And I love that this game is is full of these moments and tweaks. Like this is a game that I've put in front of quite a few different people and nobody gets it in the first, in the first game. Every time I put it in front of new people, a bundle of people have immediately just been like, oh, look, that's got some tokens on it. I'll take that. And, like, mm. you can't really teach how bad that is to do. <laughs> and it's full of these kind of, like, aha moments as people are like, oh, I need to be doing that and I need to be thinking about mm. that. And then by the time you're in your second game, everyone is, like, deep in, like, several layers of tactical thinking that all have to be running simultaneously as well as vaguely keeping track of who's got money and who doesn't and, like, what is going to be a gamble and who's going to be... who you can put into a worse position. And there's just a lot of argy-bargy for a game that is just a deck of cards with numbers on it and a couple of tokens and lots of people repeatedly saying, no thanks. And most importantly, in some of the editions, or the edition, the current English language edition, uh, a lot of bizarre copywriting on every single card. So the the cards are enormous in in the current uh, our current edition of No Thanks. Uh, huge tarot sized cards with a giant number, but also all four sides of the card have these bizarre little phrases that aren't quite witty, but they're like nonetheless incredibly charming. So like the number ten might say, oh getting into double figures now or like you know the card number 15 i'll be like now things are really heating up and i don't know how crap that sounds on the podcast but in real life number six plenty low easy peasy (laughs) no brainer much better than seven great pick me low end i'm the perfect number touchdown Here's what it is. The copywriting is exactly as dumb as the game is. Like, it's <laughs> it's the perfect companion for a game where you can lose because the number eight was removed randomly from the deck and yeah, there was no way to know that and now the game's over and you've, you've embarrassed yourself and all your friends are laughing for you. I don't... It, Tom, earlier you were like, I don't know how you get across the majesty of this game. <clears throat> I will say that... I think the majesty is partially captured in what I was saying of your friends having to grok it because them not grokking it is occasionally very, very funny. Like someone completely <laughs> running out of tokens and going, well, what happens now? It's like, well, you have to take the card. But it's 31. Yeah, and they take the 31 and then it goes around the table again and it's like, you know, a 29 and they're like, do I have to take this again? Yes, you do. You have to take that as well. Yeah, it's it, there, was, there was a great thing happened in my last game of it where someone was watching a 35 go like they they were watching this 35 go round and round and round the table acquiring more and more and more and more and more tokens on it and then someone before them took it and they went oh no and they opened their hand and they had one token left <laughs> so they were banking on this mother load coming in for like uh, several turns <laughs> and then just left with one and then immediately by revealing that everyone was like well, why have you shown us that? And then everyone, no thanks, and they had to take the next four cards in a row. <laughs> it was obscene. Oh, delightful. It's so We've delightful. talked in the past about how Startups is the best uh, game from a very popular Japanese publisher, Oink Games. Um, Startups will probably be getting more coverage on the site soon because we ruddy love it. 
I have a weird take on No Thanks, which is it's the actual best Oink game that Oink Games have not published and <laughs> probably never published due to licensing issues. But this is the perfect game for their box size, you know? Yeah. Just like mm. a deck of 30 cards and a bunch of tiny plastic tokens. Imagine this game just next to startups on your shelf at home. I'm just it fantasizing is, now. It is a very big game considering it has 35 cards and like 55 tokens. <laughs> and the actual box is like way bigger than it needs to be. The new edition is ridiculous. Uh, like I've previously only seen it in that like tiny little standard card card game box that's just like enough room yeah, for yeah, maybe yeah. two decks of cards sort of thing, and this is massive. It's the chilling side effect of what happens when games are predominantly sold in German supermarkets, <laughs> which have to be really big and unthreatening looking, yeah. and then we get them and they're bizarre. I would love to see this in I more mean, supermarkets it, though. Like this is a game that is solid and and funny enough that I think it should be. You know, it's one of those games that I wish that every pub had a copy of it sitting on there. Yeah, on the side. Oh, it's the perfect pub game. It's the perfect. I pub think game. it's a pub game, and actually, I do think there's something about it. You use the term gambling over. Like to me, it is a gambling game more than a card yeah. game almost because I think there are layers of strategy. But like the fact that you can win or lose based on which cards are burned out of the deck is. Not a shame, because that's the kind of game it wants to be. And I think that's it's great for pubs. It's great if you maybe wanted, like, if you're doing some kind of low-stakes poker night and want to mix it up a bit. But just as a card game to sit around and play, I personally don't feel there's enough to it for me to love it. I think, to me, oh, it's, a yeah. novel, it's a novelty until you were to get into some kind of, like, buying drinks or exchanging, you know, pocket change type territory. Oh, but I think it's just, it's, there's a very small category of, like, really great, card games or gambling games that can make players like physically howl like this is one of those <laughs> games that has people make noises yeah. like it's that sort of game and i do think that even though like it might not be strategically the deepest game ever i think that you will have a player make that noise pretty much every time you play it and like that yeah that's something that money well that's something that about 11 pounds can buy <laughs> Uh, I, to I totally agree. I totally agree. It's not joining the ranks of my favorite card games, but I can 100% see why it's a classic, even if in terms of goofy games of pushing your luck, I would personally prefer games like Ink and Gold or Startups or For Sale. Wrong. <laughs> no, I, I think I rate this above all of them. <laughs> really? I would say I rate this above For Sale and I rate it above... I don't rate it above Startups, but I think Startups is a different kind of game but i almost i think i also kind of rate it above ink and gold because of how versatile it is compared to that game yeah. like you can't really play games like ink and gold and diamant in a pub but this is like if you took it out the box you can just bring it anywhere and it's horrible it's a horrible <laughs> box that you can put in front of anyone <laughs> that's got to be worth something anyway that's no thanks and i think that's this podcast thank you very much for everyone for listening and we will see you again on the next week's shut up and sit down pod cast goodbye am i, am I gonna wait i want to wait wait Number stop three. stop the music. i'm the stop. best stop you haven't I, you're just singing that that's not real before we go i want the people to know that on the next podcast they can look forward to hearing you two talk about bullets because I want to hear about Bullet, and I want you to tease what kind of... Bullet's a, a shoot-em-up video game in board game form. 
What? Yeah, it's that. And we've mostly played it at the moment on uh, Tabletop Simulator, which turns it back into a video game again in a way that is slightly oh, odd no. by being very, very heavily scripted. But it's, it's. I want to play it with my hands and then I want to talk about it. And I've got it and I'm going to play and it with my hands. Maybe also on the next podcast, you're going to talk about a spooky role-playing game you played over Teeth. Yeah, no, or like the kind of predecessor to Teeth. I think it's using the Teeth system, but it's just a little one shot that's been published before the full game actually even exists, um, which is a role playing game that I've played and run, which was Halloween in July. Yeah, Hadjuline. <laughs> okay, we can start the outro music again now, Tom. Okay, cool. Let me just, hold on, let me crank it up. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>